Hello there, and welcome to the Comic Book Tesseract, the only comic netcast that's bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. I'm Jason Polia. Join me as I preview and review the world of comics along with other facets of geek sheet culture. First up on the block this week is going to be Green Lantern number 20. This is Jeff Johns' final issue of Green Lantern after a nearly 10-year run of working on Green Lantern books. And this began with the rebirth of the Green Lantern franchise, leading all the way up through the war, uh, the Sinestro Corps War, the War of Light, Darkest Night, and leading up to the final arc, which was the Wrath of the First Lantern. It ends in this book. Um, this is a mega huge book. Yeah. Eight nine or seven ninety nine, eight dollars, you know, for this book. Uh, it is huge. Um, and it really is a good culmination of everything that Johns has done for Green Lantern. Uh, if you haven't been reading Green Lantern, uh, the universe that he expanded Green Lantern into that he was the architect for, there were other writers working on other Green Lantern books, including Green Lantern Core. And Green Lantern New Guardians. Uh, but this, you know, this main Green Lantern title, which focused for the most part on Hal Jordan, there was some focus on Sinestro and, uh, what Jeff Johns did writing this book. The other books revolved around it and it made for a huge expansion of the DC universe, not just the Green Lantern area. Cause these are, you know, celestial beings that we'll see throughout the rest of the DC universe. I'm sure. Uh, this was a well done endpoint for the book. It was a great ending run for Johns. Uh, and yeah, his run had some huge highlights, some of the biggest changes to the DC universe, including expanding out beyond just a single star sapphire and into the entire emotional spectrum of colors in the war of light. Uh, and this book did not disappoint. It wasn't straight fighting that you actually got bored with it, which does can actually happen uh, for, if you want to see that happen. The perfect example is the second and third Matrix movies. The fighting never drove the plot. That was not a problem with this book. Uh, there was dialogue, discussion that actually moved it forward. Uh, and this book did it really well. And it ends with Jeff Johns kind of going, here's where I envision everything going. What I envision seeing things happen in the future. Uh, with, you know, here's what Guy would be doing, here's what Kyle will do, here's what, uh, here's what, uh, uh, all, all the other lanterns and I'm thinking about it and just completely drawing blanks on the names and I'm seeing the character has John Stewart, um, and of course, now, some of the other key players, Sinestro, what happens with him, uh, and with the Guardians, it, it resolves a final epic tale with the Guardian characters as well. Uh, so it's some very interesting things going on. Now, the biggest point is, this is just how Johns sees it happening, but since he's off the book, we don't know that that's actually what's going to happen. And if the rumor mill is actually to believe, despite the fact that Jon Stewart lives and has a successful life outside of the Green Lantern Corps, in this book, he was supposed to have been killed off in one of the upcoming arcs. Now, DC has already said that's not going to happen. But it just goes to show that just because it appears as a future, it doesn't mean it's going to happen. That's actually something that I always hate when comics do is try to say, here's what the future of the universe is going to be. It always has to be done in an Elseworlds format. Otherwise, it's kind of mocking of, you know, 
or limiting for characters. Um, I, I always hate when they do time jumps because they rarely create new characters unless they bring those characters back to the present. So we don't always have a huge expanded universe in the future, which we inevitably get as we continue telling stories. You know, mutants that didn't exist in the Marvel universe that now exist were not part of the uh, future past storyline because they hadn't been created and invented yet. Um, it's kind of like a discussion I was hearing about, uh, what does our clothes look like? What do our clothes look like in the future? And movie designers having to come up with those fashion statements and they inevitably represent the era in which they are initially created for that work of art. So if you have a movie made in the 50s, the future costumes look like something that came out of the 50s. If you have something created in the 80s, the future clothes look like something created in the 80s. It, it's very hard to create a future clothes that doesn't look like the era in which you're predicting it to come from. And that's the same thing that happens with predictions in comic books and why I tend to dislike them. You get a little bit of a bend and you kind of forgive John's because he's going, if I continue to write, this is where I would eventually have everything go. But if, we know that's not even true because you have things like the new 52, which change and the series are forced to update. So uh, the other big book that recently came out from DC um, just this week is uh, Earth 2 Annual. Um, they got a number of annuals coming out. This is the one that I picked up. Um, and one of the big things that they're bringing forward in this book is the Earth 2 Batman. Now, this is a apparently a new Batman. They give you no indication who he is, uh, no hints, no ticks, and he's only in a handful of panels. Uh, to actually give him the cover is really to play up on the fact that there's Batman in this book, as opposed to the strong characters that they have in the book doing other things. Uh, they, they introduce a couple of other new characters for Earth 2. Uh, so it does have some new people that are being presented and people familiar with the Justice Society uh, that they're kind of building towards with Earth 2. Uh, you get to see that represented uh, in this book, um, and, and some of them have their first, you know, get some first appearances of what's to come uh, if Robins, with Robinson's work in the next couple of issues. But Robinson has announced that I believe issue 16 will be his last issue with Earth 2, um, and that will actually be his last, be the end of his current relationship with DC Comics. Um, he had hinted that he had a whole lot of stuff planned, but uh, I guess uh, another casualty of the editorial and creative staff not agreeing on the direction books should go. Uh, apparently he'd also been in talks to write another Earth 2 book. We'll have to see if DC can just back shelves that, or if there is another Earth 2 book that comes out. Um, based on uh, where they'd been talking with Robinson on where they wanted it to go. As for this actual annual, uh, again, I was disappointed that there was very little Batman of Earth 2 in here, much less actually any information about who he's going to be, whether they're going to take a Tim Drake or uh, uh, Dick Grayson aspect. I... I be interesting to see if that's how they do it. It'd also be interesting if they go an entirely different route and have a character not related to the Batman universe or an ancillary character to that. Uh, I, I don't know that it would be very good to have it be someone like a uh, Jim Gordon 
where it's, you know, uh, a secondary character, one of the, the support characters that's important. You know, Harvey Bullock would be another one. I wouldn't like to see that. Um, I don't think that those are strong enough characters or would have, you know, and what we know about them in the primary universe, they wouldn't be the people that would go to form Batman. So it'll be interesting to see who they choose to have become the uh, Earth 2 Batman. I also hope that they don't make it the Joseph Gordon-Levitt character from the newest uh, Batman Dark Knight uh, Rises movie. Um, although there is the uh, subtitle for the book, The Darkest Night. So, um, of course, yeah, that could also be a reference to the Green Lantern. That'd be an interesting little twist if like someone like Hal Jordan was a Batman in Earth 2. I don't think they're going to do that either. Uh, it is interesting that they're bringing a Batman back for Earth 2. Uh, so we'll, we'll have to see yeah. some interesting choices. This, there wasn't much story. A lot of this was set up of here's a couple of new characters and Batman's kind of watching over their shoulders. So uh, certainly a good book if you're looking to get books that are premiering characters or uh, laying the foundation, but there's not much story moving things forward. It's not a bad book if you're reading Earth 2, which I don't know why you would pick up the annual without it, but it's definitely not standalone, which is something that I do like when they do with annuals, is to make it a standalone book, maybe that ties in, but isn't the, uh, but isn't the full necessary for the primary arc, because there's some people that won't buy them. Uh, Again, not a bad annual, just nothing special, and I don't know that you'll miss anything if you just buy the Earth 2 series and skip the annual. Going to go on to a bunch of number ones right now. Uh, Big week for some number ones. Uh, First one is going to be Nathan Edmondson's Dream Merchant. Um, Konstantin Novosadov did the art, and uh, this is a beautiful book. The art in here is very expressive. Uh, it, it's a thin line. It, you know, and you, you look at these characters and a book called Dream Merchant and every character looks like they haven't slept. Um, and that's actually pertinent to the story of a person who has a insomnia type of disease. He doesn't really sleep and he has problems starting to depict what is actually dream and what is actually reality. And that line starts to blur. Um, at 350, uh, it's a double sized issue, so it's a real good deal and certainly worth picking up. Um, if you want something a bit more edgy, um, I love what Edmondson's doing with the activity. Um, but that's an entirely different style of book. Uh, for me, this book, while very good, isn't really in my wheelhouse of what I want to read. So that's why I'm not going to continue with it. Uh, I certainly think that if you are into that kind of trippy dream or you want something that's a bit more um, fant- fanciful, uh, this certainly could be it because it looks like it's going to travel into those realms where there's going to be a lot of dreamlike emanations. Uh, you know, the, the story that's told in here is certainly it's well told. The art, again, is very beautiful, very amazing, and expressive. You really get the feeling of what's going on. And you look at these characters, and they look like they've seen life. So wonderfully executed, uh, just not my flavor. 
and you know not everything's going to be your flavor. It certainly was worth the three fifty to test it out and test the waters and try it. It was good. Um, next, I'm going to talk about bounce. Uh, this is from Joe Casey and David Messina. Uh, this is really interesting. It starts off where we meet a stoner who is too lazy to get a job, and yet we can predict uh, very shortly afterwards that he is, in fact, the superhero that's out saving the day. So, yeah, it really didn't quite fit that direction. Um being that this is from uh, Booms, um, or sorry, from Image, uh, I think they're allowed to, uh, they're taking advantage of the fact that they aren't a uh, primary carrier, you know, primary ca- comic that P- that PG-13 people are going to be picking up and throwing that in there. Uh, it does have some foul language. Um, some interesting references with drug culture going on in here. But I, I just couldn't get into it. it. That struck me as off, and then it went further off course. Yeah. Art is very good. I, I enjoy the art. There's a lot of psychedelic art again. It kind of goes with that druggy feel. But, yeah. I don't know. It's It just didn't seem to fit for me. So, uh, yeah, the, the main part of the story is, you know, the stoner sees that the uh, there's a guy with superpowers and goes and uh, saves the guy saves a family from the guy with from the evil villain with superpowers, and then he and the villain are being hunted by law enforcement. Fairly standard story. There's a military sub story going on in the background about how to weaponize people and you know how to put it all together. The book just didn't grab me. No, yeah. Again, I, I like the art. There's some really cool stuff going on in here. The story was okay. It, it didn't grab me, and I felt I've read enough stuff like this before. Well, it very well may go in its own direction and pull you know, some strings and go against genre. I didn't feel enough was there for me to keep reading, uh, especially with so many other uh books that I already have on my plate, which I'm trying to thin out, and a bunch of new books that came out. Uh, this next one I actually do want to continue with, at least for a little bit, and this is Mike Carey and Elena Casagrande uh, doing Suicide Risk. This, this is from Boom Studios, and the basic premise is a cop has survivor guilt after his entire uh, squad are killed while uh, trying to fight some Superpowered baddies. Um, and one of the themes that's running along is that, uh, superpowers can be bought. Uh, you just have to take, you know, find the right people and purchase the right drugs. Uh, yeah. And so that element of it has kind of been uh, done before in The Boys, uh, which is an amazing, very adult, um, story that loves to poke fun at the superhero genre. Uh, this one seems it's not that uh, meta outside look at the at the genre. This one is 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 a sincere story told where the character decides the only way he can assuage his guilt at the death of his comrades is to go forward and you know try and take superpowers to uh, 
you know, in what is essentially just a suicide risk of getting powers. Because uh, one of the things that you find out through the story is everybody want, goes in there, a lot of people go in there wanting to do good with these powers, and it turns them evil. So it's, it's that power corrupts theme running through this. Yeah. Uh, really like what Mike Carey's doing in Unwritten. This book had just enough that I'll pick up issue two and go from there. Uh, yeah, so I would recommend it. Um, again, it, it will deal with much more of a superhero uh, style, but uh, yeah, it starts off with a very relatable uh, scenario of, well, I guess it's not relatable, but you you understand this character. It's one of the things that I liked about Gotham Central is they were regular guys, regular cops, you know, regular people in this superpowered world. And how do you deal with that? And that's one of the things that Suicide Risk is playing with. So I, I, I do like that theme and it's enough that I'll uh, pick up issue two. Um, and hopefully it'll drag me even further into that world. Um, next up is Doomsday Point One. Uh, this one is by John Byrne. So, um, you know, huge name in the comics industry. Um, he created and wrote this. Uh, he also, uh, did the inks and pencils for it. Uh, the premise of this is uh, very simple. A solar flare goes off and wipes out life on Earth. Or at least we think it does. Uh, what you do is you're, the story follows a group of astronauts as they abandon the uh, the space station, the International Space Station, and take refuge in the shuttle on the far side of the Earth, trying to avoid the solar flare, which forces them to take a landing on Earth. Um, so they start, you know, ex- you know, the end of the book, they start exploring Earth. This is the tale of what happens. Um, a really well-told story. The art is very good. I, you know, I, I, just overall, this is one of the most enjoyable books I've read in the past couple of weeks. Uh, certainly, uh, didn't know what to expect. There are certainly hints throughout this issue of what we might be seeing going on. Uh, it, it is a, a, you know, apocalypse book, a post-apocalypse book, but so far it seems very much a grounded book. It doesn't look like, at least right now, anybody's going to get cosmic powers. Um, I certainly wouldn't put that out of the question just yet. But based on what's happened so far, it's a straight up, you know, survival story after the apocalypse. Um, and issue one is here's how the, here's the apocalypse happening and how people prepare for it, why they were able to survive if they did. Uh, and yeah, again, it, it, the main focus is on the astronaut crew. Um, they do, got a wonderful job there, um, in fleshing out the characters and, you know, giving you something to grab onto and to, who you care about and, you know, a glimpse into these characters' lives, why you should care about them. Uh, so, you know, Doomsday, number one, definitely on my uh, list of pick this book up. Uh, and uh, lastly, the, the other book that I've got, um, another one that is uh, done as a uh, single person, uh, which, you know, created, written, and drawn by Stephen Mooney, and this is Half Past Danger. This is a straight up pulp comic. Yeah, if, if the title Half Past Danger, Half Past Danger 
get it, sing it for you. The back cover, uh, the, the three word punch for it does, and it's Dame's Dinosaur's Danger. Yeah. Three Ds, yeah. Take Indiana Jones, and it, this is set in a World War II era, fighting Nazis. It, you know, the burning Nazi flag on the color cover, you know, the guy in the ninja co- in the camouflage ninja costume, a seaplane, yeah, you know, and the, uh, Noir dame with the cigarette and the cigarette holder. Yeah. It just screams pulp and it's chewy and delicious. Uh, this book does have dinosaurs in it. There's, there's even a nice dinosaur skull on the cover. Uh, and when you look at it, you, it's Indiana Jones, you know, meets the war that time forgot. DC tried to do the battle against dinosaurs and they did it wrong. Uh, because you didn't have anything to grab onto with the characters. This one gives you the characters and introduces you to them and then introduces you to the dinosaurs and the dinosaurs aren't the main part. Uh, in fact, you get, you have the center where you see, uh, the squad killed by the dinosaurs. And again, it's another one that deals with, this is another book that deals with survivor guilt of, you know, the sergeant in charge of the squad. Who's the only one that gets away? You know, so it's his story and it's how he's dealing with it, which he at least is trying to drown it in a nice j- jar of whiskey, uh, and how he gets dragged back out of there. Uh, wonderful, fun, chewy, and, you know, certainly was worth, you know, worth it. Um, and, you know, if I can recommend just one of these books to pick up, it, it's got to, that I've reviewed on this show. It's got to be a half past danger. Um, there was so much fun, a bar brawl, and you now they've certainly got these characters, and yeah, you know, there, there's comic elements in there, uh, particularly during the bar brawl at the end. You know, I'm not giving away too much by saying there's a bar brawl, but uh, yeah. half past danger. Yeah, you know, it really is you know, worth picking up. Uh, yeah. You know, just came out. It's the number one issue, so certainly worth it. Uh, that's going to be it for the comic section of this. Uh, yeah, some good books had come out. Some a little bit disappointing. Uh, you know, some I didn't know what to expect. A lot of times I go into the comic shop and go, okay, what's new? What haven't I seen? And so, yeah, that's how I picked up, you know, most of these number ones. And, you know, Doomsday, Point One, and Half Past Danger are both going to be added to my pull list. Uh, which is sad because I need to crop that down. Uh, thankfully, I got a couple of miniseries that are going to be ending. So now I'm going to move on to a couple of other things. Uh, first, found a really fun TV show uh, that I've been enjoying called Rush. This is an Australian series. It's available on Hulu. Uh, they have at least three seasons of it, um, and I didn't t- look too much further ahead in the episode list. I just added the first two seasons to my queue and said, okay, let me watch this. Uh, some very unique uh, things for an American audience watching this. You go, wow, that would never have been done on American television. Uh, they've done some wonderful, they had some ways of setting a couple things up that paid off later. Uh, and it's, it, it's a well done written series. It's a cop show about a special or about two teams of six that are a special unit. They're a special response team. Uh, they're negotiators. You know, so they deal with hostage crises and they, they're the guys that go out 
and are just a level above the street cops. They're not SWAT, uh, but they, and they spend most of their time actually out on patrol working their, their special response unit. Uh, so, uh, been enjoying that show. Yeah. Bunch of Australian accents to listen to. And, yeah, I'm almost done with the first season. I got like one or two episodes left. Um, just been binge watching it. Yeah, so th- that's been a fun show. Um, available on Hulu. It's called Rush. Uh, now gonna go ahead and do a review of Star Trek Into Darkness. This is the new J.J. Abrams Star Trek film, his second. And, yeah. The acting in here, uh, so, the acting is done much better, I think, even than the first Star Trek movie. Although, I did have some complaints, and I don't know that it's acting so much as the 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 director and the writers of the movie. Uh, to some extent it is, because what I'm seeing with these characters is more of a caricature of the original cast. Uh, Bones is pretty spot on. Most of the time, Spock is starting to own the character, but some of the others, they're more caricatures, and a lot of times the lines and reactions are written as caricatures of the original cast. You don't see the thought and motivation in these people. You're seeing them acting like these people are supposed to act, not as... Not a genuine response. That's one of the hardest things to do in acting, particularly when portraying a character where you have to use a previous portrayal. Uh, you, you see these people act, you, you see, yeah, Zachary Quinto acting like Leonard Nimoy as Spock, as opposed to being able to fully own that character. That may come with time as they do more in the series. And it's kind of nitpicking about this, especially when I had other faults with the movies. You may have heard reports about plot holes. Overall, the movie is a lot of fun. And if you're a Star Trek fan, it depends on the caliber of fan that you are and what you expect from your movies. The people that enjoy Star Trek movies are going to enjoy this, particularly if they like newer movies where they amp up the action sequences because a lot of this became an action movie. And so if you're much more of a hardcore Trek fan, that's why you would like this movie less. Is because they focus less on the science fiction. Uh, there's not as much... Yeah, there is character movement and character development, but not nearly like you see in some of the older movies. Uh, I saw one review that talks about how the movies for the old series were paradigm-shifting. With Wrath of Khan, you had the death of Spock. And if you haven't seen that by now, I don't want to hear about it being a spoiler. You've had plenty of time. Uh, in Search for Spock, and I don't want to hear about this being a spoiler either, they blow up, the Enterprise blows up. So, you know, you've now lost the ship that was a main, you know, first you lose one of the main characters, then you lose the ship, and then in the fourth movie, they're flying around in the enemy's ship. In the Klingon battle, in the Klingon warbird. So, you know, there's changes in what's going on for these characters and the status quo of the universe. And 
to some extent you have that with the first J.J. Abrams movie when they go back in time. But in large part, that is more of a device just to set you up for why this universe isn't the same. And, you know, there are certain things that kind of, you know, bugged me about it. Yeah. They tried to make it so that you would, so that old fans would, you know, feel like what they'd watched before wasn't a waste, which is always hard to do when you do a retcon in any universe, no matter what. DC is dealing with a lot of that with their new 52. Uh, and, you know, time travel is one of the easier ways of having it accepted and saying everything else had to have happened first in order for this to happen. Uh, over, again, the movie is a lot of fun, and if you're looking for more of an action-adventure-style movie, this has it. Um, at the expense of some of the science, you don't lose the characters as much, uh, which is something that happens to a lot of movies yeah, where the characters become just generic action stars and you lose, you know, who they are as a person and what makes them special as an individual. Uh, and yeah, overall, if you, if you're a Star Trek fan, I think you need to go see it. If you're into action movies, certainly go see it. Uh, only the hardest of the hardcore Trekkies, I think, will probably be, excuse me, be very upset about this. But I, I think overall, you know, everybody that goes to see it is going to enjoy it. Um, and actually watching Star Trek Into Darkness actually got me on a kick. I went to Netflix and they had Wrath of Khan and Search for Spock on Instant Watch. So I watched both of those again. Uh, kind of disappointed. They didn't have the original motion picture. They didn't have... Yeah, the return home. Um, they did have, uh, five though. So interesting because I thought they were supposed to have all the movies. There may be reasons why they don't have the, those, uh, random ones, especially since, uh, Star Trek for the return home is considered one of the best, um, Star Trek movies of all time argued against Wrath of Khan, which is the other uh, number one pick. It's usually between those two. Uh, and Asimov worked on Star Trek The Motion Picture, the original Star Trek movie. So, uh, a lot of sci-fi going on there. But going back and watching, Wrath of Khan really holds up. Yeah, you see these characters and you fall back in love with them. And especially having seen Into Darkness and then coming in and watching Wrath of Khan, the differences that I was talking about in the caricatures of these people acting it is really evident. Uh, so, um, it just, the power, if you haven't seen Wrath of Khan or if it's been a long time since you've seen it, go watch it. It, it stands out as a masterful piece of storytelling and a great story. Even if you don't remember the original story it, during the original series where they met Khan and where they leave Khan on the planet. Um, there's enough that you don't have to know much about it. And uh, there are little hints and tricks. Um, when uh, Chekhov sees the belt buckle and it says Botany Bay and you see the look of realization on his face. As a fan, you get that same realization of what's gone on. But, you know, so it has stuff for the old school fans, for people that have watched the original series, 
which is why one of the reasons why it did so well. But the arcs that the characters go through, um, which they tried to put the, some of those uh, arcs of you know characters and you know the development that you see in Khan, they, they wanted to show some of that development in you know into darkness, and they weren't able to capture it. Uh, that's one of the things that makes a real good movie real good is the characters actually move and evolve throughout the script. Uh, that's one of the things that was actually lacking in Search for Spock is it really was no more than an extended episode of how do we try and bring things back to normal. And it wound up with the destruction of the Enterprise being how they reverted things, being how the, the biggest change from status quo. They destroyed the Enterprise, which was in and of itself a character in the series. Um, but you you don't really get to see, yeah, you know, because it's the ship. It's hard to have that arc of growing with the ship. Um, and the other characters, Kirk, McCoy, yeah, they all are pretty steadfast in who and what they are from the beginning to the end of the movie. You see very little change. However, there are a couple of key elements in that movie that that pay back in the later in the later Star Star Trek movies. So, uh it certainly is important, but as a movie it's lackluster and is a single story being told that yeah, overall it's it's a filler movie um which un- unlike Star Wars where Empire which was the filler movie, you know, be is known as the best of the movies because it builds up so much. This was more, Search for Spock is more of a, how do we kind of bring back a status quo that makes people feel comfortable as we lead into future stories? Oh. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm hoping maybe Netflix will put up, uh, the original motion picture and, uh, and the voyage home so I can see those again. Uh, the Undiscovered Country number six is another good one. Uh, the Final Frontier number five is, tends to be panned a lot. Be interesting to go back and watch that one, see how it does. It does contain my favorite Star, Star Trek quote of all time. What does God need with a starship? Kirk says that. And I, I love that. Um, so Star Trek five does contain one of my favorite quotes. Um, even if the movie is generally derided as being poor. Um, but yeah, that uh, should just about wrap it up. Uh, we release episodes on the 1st and 16th of each month. Uh, going to uh, try and get some extra voices in here so you're not just having my monotonous voice tone on and on. Uh, get some uh, extra life in here since uh, Justin has had to abandon us. Uh, if you want to contact us, all of our contact information is available at about.me slash comicbooktesseract. Yeah, about.me slash comicbooktesseract. Yeah, we got Facebook, Google Plus, Twitter, email. Uh, you could text us or leave us a voicemail at our phone number there. Uh, again, all that's available at about.me slash comic book So I hope you'll join me again next week when I step inside the Tesseract.